Recovery Elevator, episode 278. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. And like in that moment, I realized that I don't, I don't have to let the burden of my past keep me from my destiny. I don't have to let that keep me from my future. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast episode, we've got Chris. Chris took his last drink on August 8th, 2017. He's from North Dakota and he's 37 years old. You've heard him on the Recovery Elevator podcast before on episode number 175. It's so great to have him back. Chris does a ton for us here at Recovery Elevator, from taking pictures at our retreats to helping us organize in-person meetups. I personally have benefited from his friendship and his courage. Also, he does the funniest Photoshop edits, always reminding us of our golden rule number 22, which is to lighten up, have fun because it has to be fun, smile, and not take ourselves so seriously. We are so grateful for you, Chris. Thanks for coming back. You guys, I know you're going to love this interview. All righty, let's get started. First things first, or as we say in Spanish, primero lo primero. I just wanted to extend a very heartfelt thank you to all of those that supported us after last week's episode went live. The amount of love and support that both Paul and I received from all of you was incredible. I am so honored that I get to be sharing this space with all of you. I mean, I've been a listener for three years and I never imagined that I would be on this side of the mic. That is a part of the magic of this journey, the opportunities that blossom out of this decision, the decision of wanting a better life, not just for yourself, but for everyone around you. Working on this, my first official episode had me feeling emotions that felt familiar and scary. Paul can be a dummy, or as I called him, un menso at times, and he has the patience of a goldfish. Or is that memory of a goldfish? Let's go with both. I'm going to call these day one emotions, beginner emotions. What many of us felt on the first day of school or that first date, The first time you press play on listening to a podcast about recovery, the first time you decided to give it a shot not to drink, we shift gears, ranging from fear to excitement to trust, and then back in reverse to self-doubt. I love the idea of emotions coexisting. Our brain so strongly wants to be binary, to label things and control them, to know. No outcomes, no solutions, no the final result. Day one emotions are all over the frickin' place. And although we seek certainty, we most likely just receive uncertainty in return. Someone I admire says that you can be brave and afraid at the same time. That's how I want to remember my day ones. Not knowing the outcome, but knowing that I chose courage and knowing that feeling scared or uncertain is not only okay, but is also just a natural part of the process. The only way out is through. I sometimes think of us on this journey as people who willingly swim against the tide. Or as Robert Frost once said, the ones taking the road less traveled. Have any of you listeners read that poem? I keep coming back to it and I have even thought about getting my next tattoo with some sort of reference to it. Here's a verse that I really love. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all of the difference. So if you're struggling with a cycle of repeated day one emotions, this one's for you. Our context may not be the same, but our emotions sure are shared. I am right there with you. All right, eso es todo. That's enough of me for today. And before we hear from Chris, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. When departing from alcohol, here are the two main keys to success. You need a supportive and loving community, and you have to create accountability with others who have the same goal in mind. Whether you want to ditch the booze for a month, a year, or are simply sober curious, you'll get both of these on Cafe RE. These groups are unsearchable on Facebook. What is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to live an alcohol-free life. These groups are capped at under 400 members to ensure quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking can be fun. For $19, you get access to the community, get paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and more. 
You'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. 15% of monthly fees goes towards our service project where we work with a nonprofit helping those who have been affected by addiction. Another portion goes to in-person meetups. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, Odette. I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing really well, and I'm very grateful that you agreed to being my first guest as I'm taking over. So thank you. <laughs> well, it's an absolute honor to be here, and I'm grateful to be asked. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to do amazing. So I'm excited to see the direction this takes. Thank you so much. And let's get right into it. I know you've been here with us before. So give us a little refresher. When was your last drink? Uh, August 9th of 2017. I think today's it's like I just broke a 1000 days a couple weeks ago. I know I did have that little detail in mind because I know we we're both in Cafe RE and we both are friends as well. So I know we recently celebrated you. That's a huge deal. How does it feel to be back? Back on the podcast? Yeah, yeah back been, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's been a long time. I think I was episode 175, so I don't know what number this will end up being. But um, I was I was under a year. I think I was somewhere around like nine months. Yeah, you were close to a year. And this is going to be episode 278. So... It's been a while for sure. Yeah, it's been a bit. <laughs> can you give listeners, for those of them who haven't listened to you before or know you, can you give them a little background and let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? And I know that our, go our golden rule is rule number 22, having fun. So what do you like to do for fun? And anything else that I asked, which was a whole lot. <laughs> All right, I'll hit all the marks. I do have a family. I have the absolute best family ever. Uh, I've got my amazing wife, Amy, who in about three weeks, two weeks, uh, will be celebrating 15 years uh, that we've been together. Wow. Uh, we, we have a daughter who's 13, my son uh, just turned nine, and then we have a three-year-old lab hound mix who's, he's all right too. So I live in central North Dakota, uh, I work at a I work at a power plant as an operator. For fun, I love uh, photography. In the past couple of years, I've picked up videography, so I'm kind of trying my hand at that, just kind of for fun. It's a, it's a cool hobby. And in the winter, we just try to stay warm. And in the summer, we're just getting into camping season, and that is my family's jam. We spend most of the summer at the lake. We've got a a, a nice camper set up. Uh, we've got a boat, and we spend our summer days just going for boat rides. Uh, going to the marina to get ice cream, uh, swimming, pulling a tube. Uh, I, summer is the best, and I'm so excited that it's here. I know it's already it's already here. I know we're in the middle of of a pandemic, so it feels like we're all going to enjoy as much time as we get to enjoy outside, enjoying nature. And I know you and your family really enjoy doing that. So, thanks for sharing. And I know I have to ask, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh my gosh. There's, it's, they're all good. Every single one of them is good. <laughs> I think my favorite is, this is something my brother and I used to do when we were kids. We would just take vanilla ice cream with chocolate syrup, and we used to put uh, roasted salted peanuts and Smarties, like the candy that you only get at parades. Oh. Uh, we used to put those on there. And that is still like for a birthday or like a sobriety milestone, my wife would drive all over town trying to find Smarties because that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of something we do to celebrate. Uh, we celebrate as a family. So she's like, I found your damn Smarties, Chris. Uh, oh, I mean, I feel like I haven't ha had Smarties in the longest time. So I can only imagine the the scavenger just, hunt. That, yeah, they she can probably order them on Amazon, but they probably don't even make them anymore. Yeah, they quit making them like 30 years ago. And there's just a handful of warehouses where they just shuffle them out every once in a while when it's parade season. Just make sure you're not eating expired Smarties. <laughs> I've never checked an expiration date. Not that it matters. They probably still taste delicious. I know um, that we've had ice cream together at multiple meetups when we all get to hang out in person and we go on our retreats or we get to see each other. It's kind of part of our friend sober pack chosen family tradition to just enjoy ice cream as part of the, the time that we spend together. So I can't wait. Yes. I can't wait till our next one. Whenever it is, I'll bring my spoon for sure. And maybe bring some Smarties. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> 
Okay, so why don't you, Chris, give listeners some background on your history with drinking? And I know you've already been here, but if you could give a little recap and just let us know when you realized that it was a problem and it wasn't really serving your life and allowing you to get closer to your goals. Yeah, and I'll kind of, I'm just going to go quick over it. My drinking story is really, it's kind of unremarkable. It's the same as a lot of people who, who were brave enough to come on here. I uh, started drinking at high school. I was always kind of a shy, quiet, uncomfortable with myself sort of kid. And my senior year in high school when I started uh, experimenting with alcohol, I just noticed that it brought me out of my brought me out of my shell, mm-hmm. let my guard down, loosened things up a little bit. I felt like I could like I could be myself. And it like it almost immediately like I looked forward to the next time. I just I was I don't I grew up in the country. We were, I was just really a, a quiet kid and I liked that that helped me like open up and be able to express myself without, without really caring what other people thought. Life of a party type of guy. So after high school, I joined the military. I was in the Air Force for six years. And so I leave my little town in North Dakota and kind of got stationed all over. But uh, it was the same thing there. I was surrounded by new people living in the dormitories and same thing. I was just, it was shy and it was hard for me to make friends. I was just scared to kind of open up. And I continued to use alcohol as a tool to to be able to open up. And and I would say early on, my drinking was probably normal for, you know, the, the group that I was hanging out with. But I looked forward to it so much. It, I felt so kind of like clammed in when I wasn't drinking. So I like I looked forward to those moments and those opportunities to be able to open up. Going a little further into my military career, uh, I got my first assignment overseas where I went to uh, Korea for a year. And my wife and I have been together. We've been together forever. But we were dating at the time. And it was a struggle. It was a strain on our relationship. And and I didn't really know how to talk to her about how I was feeling. And we, we were going through a tough time. And that's was probably the first time that I started to use alcohol, not just for not just for like getting out of my shell. But I was in like a little bit of a, a depression and mm-hmm. you know, having, having these relationship problems. And I figured out, you know, hey, this makes that go away. I'm doing air quotes here. This makes that go away too. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have to worry about my relationship problems because I can just drink and it disappears. But like we all know, it, it it wasn't fixing anything. It wasn't making anything going away. It was just compounding the problems. Korea was a just a total disaster. We definitely lived by like the work hard, party hard. When we weren't working, we were just, we were always going downtown and drinking or coming back to the barracks and drinking. It was a train wreck. How long were you in Korea for? A year. Okay. Come back to the States. And it was just, it was just more of the same. I went down to South Carolina for a couple of years. I did six months in Iraq while I was there. And it was the same thing. Like when I got back, um, it was nothing crazy. I don't want to like downplay it. It wasn't crazy traumatic, but it, I mean, it was an experience. I was on base and I volunteered at our hospital and coming home, it was just, it was weird. It was just weird. And I, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And, and alcohol served me in that way too. It just, it made all that stuff go away. When I got out of the service, I really struggled because my identity was wrapped up in, in who I was in the military. I, I was promoted quickly in the service and then just to take off the uniform and now I'm civilian and I'm just a guy. I'm not, you know, a sergeant anymore. I'm, right. I'm just a guy. And that was like, that was hard. And again, this makes all that go away. When we moved up here, we've been up here for 11 years now. And we, when we moved up here, everywhere we had been before, like the military was a big drinking culture, but... When we were in Iowa, after I got out of the service for a couple of years, it, it kind of slowed down. We didn't have a lot of people that we drank with. But when I moved up here, I definitely fell into the drinking crowd. And it, it escalated for so many different reasons. It was, you know, my job was a challenge, but I was getting paid well. So I had this like sense of entitlement. My wife, after we had our second kid, she had slowed down drinking and had started turning towards church. And I resented her and our relationship was progressively getting worse. And, and I thought that I deserved things that she wasn't giving me. And mm-hmm. it was just all these relationship problems and this, this sense of ego and entitlement. And that dependency just kept growing with my drinking. And I just, I didn't know how to quit. The last, uh, the last couple of years, my drinking got really bad. My wife and I, our, our relationship was, it was in big trouble. And we both, you know, we both were responsible for dis- different aspects of that. And the worse I got, the more she turned towards church. I felt abandoned by her mm-hmm. because I thought she's turning towards a church. And, and I, I just couldn't see it. But she felt abandoned by me. Right. Because I was spending all of my time drinking. On my way home from work, it was it's a 35-minute drive. But it would take me two hours because I was 
I would take country roads and drink on the way home or just go park somewhere and just get drink as much as I could before I got home because I knew I'd have to watch it there. And it was just, it was really tough for us. Sounds like, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, I know you've been with her for so long and all of these changes from moving cities to changing jobs to going back to life after being in the military. I feel like it had to be so hard for both of you to continue to pivot and continue to adjust. And I mean, it sounds like if you were high functioning, drinking was working, like we always say, uh, until it didn't, until it started kind of steeping into your relationship. And I mean, did you and your wife have conversations specifically or did she notice anything or point it out? Or was that something that you guys didn't really talk as it was progressing? Yeah, there was there was an escalation in those conversations, I would say it probably started out as well. Last night was maybe a little too much. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, within the last year to year and a half, there was like the, this progression of like ultimatums, like you need to slow down or, or something's got to happen. And it was just kind of open ended or, or you need to quit or I'm going to leave. And I just, I never, I never believed her. And going through all that stuff in our relationship, we both come from homes where our, our parents love us very much, but neither one of us was just really equipped to like, we, we didn't know how to have those conversations in our relationship, how to talk about when, at least I'll speak for myself, um, if I was scared of our financial situation or if I was scared of how she felt about me, I didn't know how to broach that subject with her. I didn't, I didn't think there was any possible way that I could just go to my wife and say, hey, I'm struggling with this right now or I'm, or I'm hurting or I'm scared about this. Uh, I thought that would mean that I was weak right. or in, or ineffectual. So I just masked it with, with anger and, and numbed it with booze. It's really hard. You know, I know you and I often talk about family and I don't think I ever saw my parents share those types of vulnerabilities with each other. So of course, I, I always say I had a great upbringing and my parents loved us very much. But there's a lot that I didn't know how to handle when I became an adult, like I'd never seen them fight that much. So I didn't know what a healthy fight looked like or a healthy argument. And I didn't ever see them apologize to each other or say like, hey, I need this from you. So then when it was my turn to feel like I had needs or, or these things that seemed so simple, I just felt like I didn't know how to broach it the way that you're saying, like you didn't know how to even talk to her. And it wasn't a lack of love or anything. It was just like, we just kind of freeze. Yeah. And I didn't see much of that, that either. And it's, you know, I think our parents were given the tools that they had and, and I, I, I believe they did the best they could. And, and I don't think that they did anything wrong. It's just, we, we didn't know, we didn't know how, how to traverse these weird situations. So yeah, there was this, this escalation in that, you know, you, you asked about the, like the conversations and, and the more that she started to press because my behavior was becoming more erratic. I, you know, whether I was drunk or not, I was really aggressive in our home with her and the kids and, you know, I would throw stuff around or, or, or yell at them. And for anybody who doesn't know me, like I'm a six foot seven man, like I'm a <laughs> giant and teddy like, bear. <laughs> and I'm not like a skinny beanpole six, seven, like I'm, I'm full grown. I'm a big guy. And my wife is a, is a normal human. And, you know, to have this big aggressive guy, you know, like in your face screaming at you, she was like, she was just scared. She didn't, she didn't know what was next and she didn't know what could possibly happen, you know, between me and her or me and the kids. And, and she was just frightened. So when she would say, you got to stop, you got to stop or, or I got to go. Like I saw that as she's trying to control, like, this is the only thing. Cause I had gotten to the point where I was so dependent on alcohol that I just had anxiety nonstop. And I had trained myself and like on a biochemical level, this is the thing that is going to make this anxiety go, go away. And that's, it was like, biologically I was being driven towards alcohol and I'm like why would she want why would she want to take that away from me it's it's because she hates me or because she can't stand me and she was just uh she was just scared yeah she wanted I can imagine you also like grew resentful sorry for interrupting but I can imagine all the feelings of like don't take the one thing that's making me quote-unquote happy or not anxious I can imagine all the feelings yeah, I, it it scared me. Like when she would say stuff like that, it would scare me. Yeah, so that was kind of the dynamic for like the last year and a half, about the last year and a half of my drinking, that is. About nine months before I, my sobriety date, my brother passed away. I only had one brother. Uh, he's about a year and a half older than me. Like growing up in the country, we were close and we loved each other and hated each other like brothers do. 
you know, we would get on each other's nerves and call each other names. But like we were always we were always there for each other. And for a lot of our childhood, we were the only like playmate that we had. But yeah, about nine months before I quit, uh, he passed away. And that just poured a lot of fuel on my drinking, which led to just a lot of really a lot of really shameful situations in I think it would have been July of 2017. We had gone on vacation with my wife's family and she asked me not to drink. And I, and I was like, I thought I was so clever. Like I was drinking beers in the basement of this house that we had rented. (laughs) And she like comes down the stairs and I've got a Miller light pounder in my hand and I peek over my shoulder and just kind of like stick it under my other armpit. And she like, she didn't want to create a scene with, you know, our kids and, and her parents and brothers uh, and with everybody there. So like in my head, I'm like, I'm so freaking smooth. She didn't see anything. She totally knew. Busted. <laughs> she was not happy with me. And that that vacation was exhausting because like I was at that point, like I wasn't trying to get drunk and have fun. That was all maintenance, maintenance drinking that I was doing just yeah. so I could try to get some sleep. The day we got back from that vacation, she's like, you've got to quit. She's like, and it had quit being like, I want you to slow down. She's like, I don't want you to drink ever again. And there was just this rush of fear comes over my body. And like, I didn't know what to do. And it's like, I can't. I can't. And I told her, you know, I, I swore at her and I said, you know, F you tell me who your attorney is. And I, I thought that was my only option is just to leave her yeah. because I can't, I can't do this. You felt trapped. Um, was that like what you would consider your rock bottom when you were like, Oh, shoot (laughs) that was it was one of i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of moments you know and i still work through them and and she's worked through them and we work through them together there's but that was definitely one of them there's just a lot of really the the worst moments that i that i regret the most i almost hate that word regret because it takes what it takes right i mean we gotta we gotta go on the journey to get where we are but some of like just the the things that that I regret the most are just moments between her and my kids and just the way that I treated them and spoke to them and and some of the stuff I did. Uh, it, it hurts to think about that. And it's and, you know, it's that living immense. Um, I'm trying to live my life in a way now that I can somehow make up for that. Oh, my gosh. And listeners, I know that this man is basically a walking, living amends. He he's taught me so much about doing the next right thing. And I know that you've really turned your life around. So you had to have happen what happened. And it's just so I think your story always gives me so much hope in terms of the possibilities and what can happen. And I I just really appreciate you for sharing because it's it's been really neat watching your courage and your bravery. So thank you. And then let us know kind of like what happened after that when she kind of gave you that ultimatum and 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 it seemed like your marriage was really on the on the line this time. (laughs) Uh, so we separated and I kind of had like that, oh shit moment, um, after that. And that's when I started to have that willingness to change. You know, I ended up signing up for a treatment app. Like at first I talked about this before, but I ordered a couple books thinking that would cut it. But (laughs) when we, when we separated, that finally gave her the courage to be like, no man, it's, it's too much. It's too much. It's been through too much. And, and, uh, we actually like started divorce proceedings and, and that's the road we were going down for a long time. And again, I think that's what, that's what had to happen to, to actually kind of force my hand into, you know, I had the option I can go back out and pick up or I can really like straighten my life out. Uh, so, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And I kind of, kind of unwillingly, uh, sought the help of some professionals. I went and saw a doctor who referred me to another addiction doctor who referred me to a counselor. And I met with a, a pastor like all in the same day. I saw all four of these people. And that was like one of the first times that I truly opened up to like another human. And it was like, I don't know what to do. Like I just, everything I've tried doesn't work. And my family is going to break up. And, and I just like, I don't know what to do. And just to have someone look at me from across the desk and say, like, it's okay, you know, like, there's some help out there. And there's some hope and, and we can get you we can get you on the right path. That's wow. things started, things started to turn around. So I ended up going into an intensive outpatient program. It was like a three night, three nights a week for three hours at a crack. It was like a 75 mile commute each way. It was just, uh, it was a lot of work. But I learned a lot of stuff and that's where I was exposed to recovery elevator was actually on my commute. I was looking for something to listen to and listening to the podcast was like one of the first times. Cause when I was an IOP, like we were all kind of going through the same thing. Like I heard stories like mine 
in my treatment program. But we were we were all there for the same reason. None of us had figured anything out just yet. <laughs> to hear other people articulate like how I had been feeling, but I didn't I didn't know how to speak that out. Um, it's like holy smokes! Like this is this guy did it. Like maybe I can do it. And and I just I learned so much by listening to the podcast. Sounds like you also had plenty of miles of commuting to do. So you probably listened to a couple of episodes every single day. I listened to like three a day <laughs> on treatment days. Yeah, but. that's that had to be so helpful because what I, I kind of have a counter question to your answer and only because you talked about how you felt like the conversations that you were having where you felt like drinking was the last thing you had. How did you feel once you realized that you had to do this? Like, did that continue to fuel your resentment or when did that turn from like someone's making me get better to like, oh, my God, I actually needed this. I feel like in my experience and my dad loves sharing about his journey. My dad's sober. Like it was very similar. My mom told him, like, you can't do this anymore. And then he's like, I don't know when the decision became mine. It just became mine at some point. Do you have like some sort of clarity around it went from like, she's making me do it, doing it, or my family's, this is for my family versus this is for me? You know, I don't know. It, it was sometime during treatment. And there's, there's kind of a couple parts to that. In working with like the addiction counselors, I learned that like, I've got to take responsibility for this. There's nothing I can do to change the past except for take ownership of it. Like that's a huge part of it. But in that same day that I first met with the doctors and the counselor, I met with my pastor and my faith life was like garbage. It was like non-existent. I didn't know if I was mad at God or if I didn't believe in him, but I've got an amazing pastor and, and he had me start reading like the book of John and uh, he goes, why don't you start praying every day, Chris? He goes, even if you don't know what you're praying to, like, well, just, just, just try. And I really sunk, sunk into like reading the word and praying, like just praying constantly. Like whenever I was frustrated, angry, mad, upset, which was a lot in mm -hmm. early sobriety, like I just started praying and, and I didn't know what was going to happen, but it's just like, God, just please help me. Just whatever's supposed to happen, just help me make the right choices and help me do what I'm supposed to do. And I just like, I didn't, I didn't get this beam of light shown down on me in this giant voice, Chris, here's what's going to happen. And here's <laughs> what you, but like, there was a moment uh, when Amy and I were separated, I was living in my camper for part of it. And I lived with my dad for part of it. But there was this night in my camper where I just felt this burden of all this stuff from my past just weighing down on me and I couldn't sleep. And I was just like sobbing. Uh, and I just looked up and I stretched out my arms and I, and like, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing. And it's like, God, just take this away from me. Like whatever, whatever it is that I need to do, like I promised you, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to continue to move forward and be a better person. And just, please take this away from me and give, give me the strength to be able to, to live this new life without having to live in this past. And it was crazy. Odette. Like I could almost physically feel this load being taken off of my body. And like in that moment, I realized that I don't, I don't have to let the burden of my past keep me from my destiny. I don't have to let that keep me from my future. I'm responsible for everything that I've done and I need to make amends and I need to, I need to apologize and I need to continue to live in a way that shows that I'm making changes, but, but I don't have to be that guy. I'm not, I'm not Chris 24 beers into a, a case of Miller light. You know, I'm born new every day, every day. And I, I, that just gave me chills. You sharing that story. I know I've heard it from you before, but I, we just all also struggle with so much shame. And, and I can, every time you tell that story, I can like see this like, boulder get removed from you and I just I'm so glad you had that moment and you were able to kind of give yourself permission for yeah. a different outcome and give yourself permission for a second shot and give yourself permission to to take your family back and to kind of regain power in a way and yeah I, that, that's a powerful moment you had you know and like none of it is easy but all of it is it's worth it. Yes. And the, I've had so many moments like that. That moment is not like a solitary thing. I've had so many. I had a moment like that today. We were speaking uh, a little bit before. You know, I had kind of a tough night last night and a, a tough morning. And I was praying over it. And it just kind of like came to me. And I think this is God's 
speaking to me through my own sort of conscience. But it's like, man, Chris, why are you trying to figure all this stuff out? Like, I've got some stresses in my life right now. And it's like, why are you trying to figure all this out? Like, surrender and acceptance. Take responsibility for what's yours. Let go of what's not. Do the next right thing and just move on. You know, all these corny mantras that we hear all the time. Uh, I've got very little on my plate. Yes. If, and I can I can stack that plate as high and crowded as much as I want to. And that's when I start to get in trouble. And, and even though I haven't felt like drinking for quite a long time, but it, it's still easy for me to slip into those those behaviors. And that's what I'm trying to work on now. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask, bringing me to my next question is, I mean, a thousand days is a long time. You've been removed from your last drink for so long. And, and you just shared that maybe some of those feelings that you had closer to day one are perhaps feelings that you sometimes still have now, even even all that time away from that last drink. But tell me about like, do you still have cravings? And like, how how different is it now from the beginning? And how similar is it? Like what's changed then kind of what hasn't? So like in terms of like actually wanting to sit down and like driving by a liquor store and wanting wanting to go get beer like that, I don't want to say that it never happens, but it's very rarely. I mean, there's sometimes where I'll romanticize sitting on the back of the boat with my feet in the water and, and, and sipping a beer. But I, it doesn't take me too long to explore that thought. And, you know, for a moment, it might be, be, be like, oh, yeah, you know, that was nice to have that particular shandy on a hot day. But then it's like, all right, Chris, like, what did that situation really look like? I would have that one in my hand, but there would be 15 empties that I had, like, thrown in the ski locker. <laughs> Or, or how many did I sink at the bottom of the lake so that nobody would see them? It, and it was like it was never that one drink. If it would have just been those couple drinks on the boat, I, I wouldn't be here. Um, it was it was it was never that for me. So just every once in a while that might pop in. I just kind of romanticize some of those moments that I used to have, uh, but exploring the the truth of what it really was kind of sets me straight. Now more than more than craving a drink. It's just some of those behaviors that still they still seep in, and, and I'm a human, so I don't know that they'll that they'll ever fully go away. But some of that fear, some of that pride, anger like for me, anger is is a secondary emotion to fear, fear of not being loved enough or not being validated or or not being appreciated, fear of being deserted. Some of that stuff will will creep in, and that's that's it's all kind of attached to my ego and. And sometimes I can catch it right away. And other times it'll kind of turn me into a jerk for a couple of days. And it's like, oh, and I got to get kicked in the head before I realize it. But it's more about the behaviors that, you know, I can have some of those same behaviors. I can get short with my kids or my wife. But it's, it's more few and far between. The more I continue to work my recovery, the more, the quicker I can recognize those things. Uh, and then my wife is, you know, my wife, uh, she doesn't work like Al-Anon or anything like that. But she's, you know, she's got her methods that she, you know where she can recognize that stuff in herself also you know our relationship is a dy- dynamic between two people and she can recognize that in herself and she can recognize it in me and, yeah. and she's more she's we're more tolerant of each other and we can help we can help kind of steer each other and, and we know how to kind of call the other person out and be like listen I understand that that you're upset and, and it seems like you're you're coming at me because you know maybe maybe you got something else going on and, and let's talk about that. That's very mature. I mean, there's so much growth that happens in our relationships, too. And and I feel like there's this misconception, too, sometimes from our family members of if you go to treatment. And I know that was your case. In my case, I also did a treatment where I would drive every day. And and I feel like even in our minds, we think when we're done with this, we're going to be good. And like you said, (laughs) we're still human. We still make mistakes and we still need to give each other grace, we still need to give grace to ourselves. And, and I feel like you're extremely blessed to be with someone who, who has that awareness with you. And it doesn't feel like this, like one sided thing. She is the absolute best person on the planet. (laughs) She is, she is so amazing. The, just the amount of just garbage that I put her through for, for her to have a willingness. There's this special moment like halfway through well it was towards the end of my treatment where she's like I think I still love you is there any way we can work this out and it's like holy crap like I didn't think that was gonna happen 
and we talked about it. We had some tough conversations and it's like, you know, we can't go back into this. Like nothing's been fixed. Like I, I quit drinking, but like I still got a lot of work and we still got a lot of work. We got to figure out how to coexist and her, her willingness to pursue couples counseling and, and to pursue counseling for, for some things that she figured out that she wanted to work through and just to continue to have tough conversations with me. And a lot of times she's the one who's poking like, Hey man, let's get into this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. Sometimes she's dragging me along. Um, I am so blessed to have, to have a partner like her. She's my world. She's my, she's my absolute best friend. She's everything to me. And, and I'm so grateful to have a person like her just after everything for her to be able to say like, it's okay. And, you know, we have some conversations about the things that have happened uh, while we're drinking, but I, I give her so much credit because she's, she doesn't hold that over my head. You know, we've, we've had those conversations where it's like, listen, man, like we got to work through this cause this happened and we've got to get through it. But it's, it's not about trying to belittle me or make me feel small. It's about trying to get to some healing so that we can continue to grow and learn in our relationship and just develop as people and develop as a couple. She's, yeah, she's my everything. She's so amazing. Talk about power couple. I can't wait to meet her. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> it's she's, on my bucket yeah. list and meeting your kids too. And I mean, I learned so much from your marriage and your guys' strength and willingness to just continue to see the good. You know, it, it, it's so important yeah. to just continue to see and, the good in each other and remember, remember what's, what's our true selves and all the good that we have. Yeah. And I just want to throw it out there to anyone who's in, in that sort of a like marriage dynamic, you know, there's, there's people who have come to us through church and they've heard our testimonies and they're like, Oh, that's so great that, that you guys are, you know, you just got through this. And it's like, man, we didn't just get through anything. Mm -hmm. Like we put in work. Like when I finished IOP, we traded that counseling (laughs) for marriage and couples counseling. And we had some intense, sessions you know there's lots of lots of rides home from the counselor where we just didn't say anything because we had a lot to process and it's like all right i'll see you in two days because we <laughs> gotta figure out what the hell just happened but it just it takes time and we've got a we've got a mutual friend that i met in cafe re and i remember when uh, my wife and i were trying to work through this stuff and it just i didn't know if we were gaining any ground and and this is our friend bedhead and uh <laughs> <laughs> you know who i'm talking yes. about and I hit him up privately and it's like, man, like, I just don't, I don't know like how to keep going with this. I I don't know if this is working. And, and he gave me the advice. Uh, He's like, Chris, man, what's at stake? Look at what's at stake. He goes, look and, and think of what you've put her and your kids through. He's like, do you think maybe it's worth it to take it on the chin? Just, just for a little bit. And he's like, it doesn't mean that you need to be a whipping boy that you got to have anything drug over your head. He's like, but, You've got to give her time to heal the way that she needs to heal if you want to be able to to move forward together. He goes, so just he goes, I don't know what that time is. He's like, you've got to figure out what that time frame is. He's like, but just consider what's at stake and and give her give her a chance. And that's was some of the best advice I ever got. You know, it's not like I was ready to walk away, but I was just really struggling trying to figure out, man, like this is hard, but it, it's it's just worth it. And it's it's work, it's hard and it takes time. But you've got to give yourself grace and you've got to give that other person grace and realize that, we, you know, we've put we've put these people in our lives through a lot of stuff. Yeah, it, it's hard, hard work. And I mean, we were just chatting about this earlier, too, before we started recording of we're all we're all stuck with each other at home. And, and, and it's really putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and understanding where they're coming from, because that conversation that you had made you look at her side but it's so hard to get out of our heads and just be (laughs) truly empathetic towards the other person but i i really admire that you guys put in the work and one of my favorite podcasters and celebrities dak shepherd he's married to Kristen bell if you guys don't know them so so good and and he always says the same thing you know that on instagram they hit them up and they're like i wish i can find my dak shepherd and i wish i can find my Kristen bell and they're always like we work so hard to it's not like we're instantaneously soulmates and like it's it takes work it takes courage it takes those uncomfortable conversations it takes staying when you just want to not stay sometimes it takes so much work so i just really am thankful that you're just so 
candidly sharing that it's not just like a decision. It's also a decision put into action with all of these small choices that that add up and that you guys had to build, rebuild. And and now the foundation is so strong and, and the challenges will never end. But that's yeah, that's so yeah. cool. And- like uh, like our our friend Trisha says, like it, it, my wife and I, we haven't arrived at anywhere. We're just we, we've arrived at today, yeah. this moment, <laughs> and today today has its own set of struggles, and and tomorrow will too. But but we've made that agreement that that we're going to do it together, and we're going to continue to grow and learn, and and we're not in this to hurt the other person. Um, we're there to to try to heal and and grow. Yeah, it's just I can't I can't say it enough. She is my she's just my favorite person. She I is. love that. Thank you for sharing. And I don't know how much indoors you have to be with this crazy pandemic, but walk us through a day in the life right now. How is it? Are you guys all together at home? What does working your recovery through this kind of crisis look like? Okay, so with my job, like I still go to work, uh, but she's a teacher, so she's home with the kids, and it's good. It's interesting but it's good. They're home and they're with each other a lot, <laughs> but it's been good for me walking my, working my recovery in this. It, it hasn't changed a whole lot other than I can't get to any face-to-face meetings. There's a faith-based 12 step that I do. And then another 12 step that I do. I'm unable to get to face-to-face stuff, uh, but I'm still active in the recovery elevator community. I started working with a sponsor again, uh, I had a sponsor for a little bit when I first sobered up and it, it didn't, it just didn't pan out. And this past December, I started working with uh, a sponsor again. And he's a guy that I've known for a couple of years and he's just, he's an amazing dude. So, but he lives in Scotland. So him and I still are able to meet. This hasn't affected our meetings. So like my day to day is I try to stay connected with him as much as I can. I try to stay connected to the Cafe RE community through, through the Facebook page, through posts and videos, through you know, commenting and, and just trying to show support to other people through Marco Polo, through reco- with uh, friends that I've made in recovery, and just trying to stay in the work. My step work right now is I'm doing uh, four and five, which is, you know, my inventory and, and talking to another person about it. And that's, it's been a challenge, but I know that there's, I know that there's some really good stuff on the other side of that. I was kind of bumping up against some walls at the end of last year with some self-worth and self-esteem stuff. And, and I just, I know that on the other side of this work, uh, there's going to be some tremendous healing in it. And I've seen, I've seen glimpses of that already. And I'm just, as weird as it sounds, I'm excited to keep going and continuing, continuing to work. And for me, there's got to be some sort of a work component Mm -hmm. component. It's not, not just being busy and staying busy, but like really digging in and figuring out where some of this stuff comes from uh, so that I can identify it and just continue to try to be a better person. Oh, that's brave. It has to be an emotional challenge and just feeling like your heart is being put through the ringer on a consistent basis. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, but I'm 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 so grateful because I you know through through uh, Cafe RE, I've got an amazing support system. I've got some people that are without a doubt lifelong friends that I've met at retreats and meetups and through the page. I can I can ask for a better sponsor either. He's just he's such a solid dude, mm. and the, the way he shows up for me and and you know he he can tell when I'm going through something or if I'm having a tough time with something and you know he's he's a, a, an immense source of support for me as well. How do you how do you keep this journey fun? How do you lighten up? How tell me a little bit about that because I know a couple, but I want I want to hear your answer. It is my life is just you know we can set the tone. For, for our recovery. And, you know, I know we've talked about some heavy stuff and that stuff was kind of necessary to, to get to a sense of freedom. But, uh, I celebrate whenever I feel like celebrating a milestone, I'll celebrate it. I celebrate things with my family. You know, we suffered as a family. We celebrate as a family. I love staying connected with people, uh, in the, in the sober community and cafe area. I love you know, like the re- getting going on the retreats and the meetups. Uh, I hosted my first meetup last November, and you know there was some times where we sat down and had chats, but like we did silly stuff too. We had a selfie scavenger hunt in the Mall of America, <laughs> acting like a bunch of kids running around trying on weird clothes to get our pictures. Just spending time. If you think that you did some crazy stuff and acted a fool when you're drinking, like get together with a bunch of sober people. And it's just like, what in the hell are we doing? 
Oh my gosh, uh, one of my favorite memories is at a retreat, someone pointing us out and saying, those people must be really drunk. And we were so freaking sober that I just started laughing so hard. I think we were dancing and like yeah, you said, just acting music. crazy. Yes, it's the best. We were like swimming in this frozen lake up in the mountains <laughs> in Montana. It wasn't like literally frozen. It was cold though. And just being able to like let your guard down and that like that social lubricant that I thought I needed just to be able to surround myself by people who, who want, like they share my struggle and they understand it. So if I'm going, if I'm having a tough time, I know that like any one of those people I can lean on them because they, they just get it. But like I can be silly and goofy and they're just, they're just going to accept me. Yes. Um, Chosen I'm family. I'm going to accept them. Absolutely. Chosen family. It's, it's there's, I've gotten, I've gotten my relationship with my wife back. I've gotten my relationship with my kids back. Like just being able to like have fun and goof around with my kids. You know, they're not, they're not scared of me. They, they, they don't mind annoying me because they're not worried I'm going to snap at them. They'll come and crawl on me or, or poke at me or make fun of me. It's just, my life is infinitely better than I ever would have imagined. It's not, it's not boring. We're always busy. We're always doing fun stuff. It's just, I love being with the people that I love. And and now I can actually be there with them. Yes. I'm not I'm not worried about what I'm drinking. I'm not numbing myself out. I'm not staring glassy-eyed into the distance. Like I'm with the people that I love. And and I choose who I surround myself with. My friends, I don't I don't know how this is going to sound, but my friends are the best people in the world. The people in Cafe RE are my friends that, you know, the people in my recovery circle locally, those are my people. And they're, they, they're just the best people in the world. Oh, I love hearing this. It makes me really happy just really from knowing your story and just seeing how things can change. And, and like I said earlier, just the possibility. So thanks for sharing. We have officially reached the rapid fire round. So if oh, you can snap, oh, snap. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? See. Si. All right. If you could talk to day one Chris, what would you say to him? Oh, man. Take it easy and you are loved. You're loved. I love it. What is a memorable moment sobriety has given you? I know you've had a ton, but one that stands out? Whenever I've been asked during a meditation to close my eyes and think of a, something that brings me joy, and it is being in the water in the lake surrounded by my family just swimming and playing and laughing and having fun hearing my kids squeal my stupid dog jumping up <laughs> jumping on someone just being with my family and seeing their smiles and yeah that's what that brings me peace yeah. brings love into my heart what are some of your favorite resources recovery elevator cafe re cafe re is i mean that is my i live in a rural area Cafe RE is my jam, um, but Recovery Elevator podcast, this one, um, Shane Raymer, that sober guy, uh, Transitions Daily, which is like a daily day, daily AA email that helps me set my intention. Um, and then I also listen to a lot of uh, Saddleback Church and Elevation Church. Uh, they've got some, they've got some great preachers that that help. I don't know, they they can share the word in a way that I can receive it, uh, and and a good sponsor. I've got the best one, but see who you can find. A good sponsor. Awesome. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are maybe considering living an alcohol-free life? Just be honest with yourself about where you're at. Don't try to minimize it. Don't try to pretend like you can handle it. it and, and I mean, we can do hard things, uh, and only we can do those things, but we don't have to do them alone. So just be honest with yourself. Find someone that you trust or find a professional and and just start asking yourself some some of those tough questions about what your relationship is like with alcohol and try to find some accountability and try to find a community because there's a lot of people out there who who are going through the exact same thing and you're not alone. We're here we're there's so many of us that are going through it with you and we just we want to we want to bring you in and give you a big hug and let you know that hey, we can do this together because we're we're right there with you. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're on day 1, day 1000 or on your day 0. Anybody who wants to talk to me about about what they're going through in recovery, I'm glad to be like, hey, I got, I've gotten here. I don't have answers for you, but I got some support. Come on in. Thanks for being a great listener. I know I've benefited from that. So thank you. And before we depart, give listeners your own You May Be an Alcoholic gift line. Oh, man. It's been a while for this question. <laughs> I, I, know, I know what my last one was. You might be an alcoholic 
if you've urinated in more corners of your house, <laughs> then you just then that you care to even mention. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you hadn't mentioned this one anywhere, so we're oh, good. Oh <laughs> my gosh, it's not. There's there's a lot of not really proud moments. But oh, I'm it glad takes what it takes. It takes what it takes, and I'm glad we can laugh now and smile and. More importantly, share some good ice cream when we see each other. So thank you. I'm so grateful that you joined us on the podcast. Congrats again on such a huge milestone that just passed. A thousand, it's a huge deal. So keep it up. Oh, did I say a thousand years? <laughs> I'm not that old. Change it to a thousand <laughs> <Leave> days. <it. laughs> keep it up, Chris. Thank you so much. Love you. That went quick. All right, guys. I asked our Cafe RE members what are some feelings and thoughts that cross their minds during day one, and here is by far my favorite response. Day one is a mixed bag of emotions. A lot of thoughts revolved around possibilities, imagining my new life and what this new beginning may bring. Ah, yes, the possibilities. Recovery elevator, we took the elevator down, we got to take the steps back up. Take that road less traveled, we can do this. Love you guys.